You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Victor, and joining me is Neil Hughes, Editor-in-Chief of AppleInsider.com. Victor, how are you? Hopped up on caffeine. How are you? <laughs> I don't have any caffeine in me, just, just agua, but I'm good. Agua. The elixir of life, that. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for this. Absolutely. Yeah, we're coming up on American Thanksgiving. We are. And uh, I say American because it's separate from Canadian Thanksgiving, which is on a different day. Right. And there are all kinds of other people who are thankful on other days. But the point overriding is that we have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? We absolutely do. Yeah. However, we also have news to discuss. We do. Tell me why here we are at the end of 2017 and I don't have a shiny, fancy music speaker from Apple yet. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I want a speaker. I want a speaker that when I put it in a room, it knows its location in the room and it EQs itself for delay and reflections and the, the shape and size of the room. Why can't I have that? That's a good question. Uh, we don't really know. Um, the HomePod is a very strange product. And for those listening who uh, may not have kept up on the news this week, uh, Apple announced uh, late last Friday in the week uh, that they would uh, not be shipping the HomePod in 2018 as originally promised uh, because they need more time to get it done. Um, yeah, this is just an embarrassing, bad situation for Apple all around. I mean, whatever. We'll live without our speaker for a few more months. But Apple is a company that takes pride in its ability to announce products, and they don't usually pre-announce them, which made the HomePod even more odd. Uh, They announce products, and then they ship them almost right away. And they especially do that with the iPhone, even though the iPhone X was a little bit delayed this year. But, you know, generally pretty good at turnaround and stuff. Pretty good track record. Pretty consistent. Yeah. If we want to go back in time and, and talk about products that have been delayed, you have to go way back, right? I mean, original Apple TV. White iPhone 3GS or iPhone 4, I guess. Very, very good one, yes. Um, but it's it's hard. We have to think for a moment to try and pick these examples out. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of other companies out there that pre-announce stuff, miss ship dates, or announce stuff and it just has a vague coming soon release date or it's only for developers or garbage like that. Apple's not... Well, and sometimes that's to get pre-orders right. or to to, but but this is this problem that's this this is a problem that actually has a name, um, and the name is, I believe, Wang W A N G. Because the way this thing worked is that in in the eighties, Wang made mm-hmm. word processors, which were like computers except they only did word processing, and they pre-announced a, a unit to try and get interest and pre-sales for their their big forthcoming unit. And by pre-announcing, they killed sales of their current model and therefore didn't have enough money to actually fund the next model and went out of business. I mean, Apple was in a position here where they could pre-announce because they didn't have a existing product on the market. It was a new product category for them. And this is something they've done before with the Apple Watch, with the first iPhone, with the iPad. Uh, They announced it a few months ahead of time. The HomePod always felt a little weird, though. I mean, it's not as advanced as the watch, not as advanced as the iPhone, not as advanced as an iPad. Um, I, I disagree. And of course I'm disagreeing about a product <laughs> that we have no actual experience with. I mean, I'm not saying it's not advanced technology. I just think it, that an Apple watch is more impressive than a speaker. Dude. Uh, so a speaker that knows the room that it's in by using sonar, uh, 
and adjust its audio accordingly mm-hmm. does not exist in the sub $30,000 price point. Being able to cram that into something with a retail price of $349 is absolutely impressive, is absolutely revolutionary. In the and audio how big category. is that category? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, one, one perspective is that the audio category is shrinking because it, it used to be the case, right, where everyone had a hi-fi. You had a receiver and you had speakers and your speakers weren't bookshelf speakers because there are, there's physics involved. In order to make big sound, you need to have a big volume of air to push was the way things used to work. And so you had right. to have tower speakers, right? And then you had your components because your receiver was just an amplifier and an AMF receiver and you had to have a turntable and you had to have an eight track player and you had to have a dual cassette player, right? So you had a stereo stack. Mm-hmm. You had a rack, if it were. And how many people have those now? <laughs> My parents still have one. Fewer and fewer. Your parents do. Uh, I do because I, I use it as my home AV yeah. and it runs my audio for my TV because TV yeah. speakers are very thin and suck. So I have decent bookshelf speakers and a subwoofer driven by a receiver to get good sound. Yeah, I have a 5.1 system with a uh, um, with a flat subwoofer that actually hides under my couch so I can accommodate everything and I have a receiver. Yeah, so the the progression here, right, was that if you went to university in the early 90s, like that whole 89 to 97 kind of time frame, mm-hmm. you totally had a receiver. The, the first thing right. kids did moving into the dorms was set up the stereo so that they could play their music, establish their music tastes to everyone else, you know, <laughs> mark their territory, as it were, with the audio, mm-hmm. and then move all their stuff into their dorm room from mom and dad's station wagon. Right. And, and station wagon versus minivan at that time, too. Then over time, people moved to bookshelf, right, which is all of those components made to look like they were separate components in a rack, but really one unit with two small speakers. And then it it totally shrunk to the iPod and personal music and maybe an iPod speaker dock, right? Now we got Bluetooth speakers that have been successful for a few years, but it's a much smaller chunk, right? People want, if they listen to music, they listen to music in the car or with their headphones or with a small Bluetooth speaker, you don't have a sitting on the couch listening experience anymore. People don't care. People have have decided that the audio quality is good enough that they enjoy their music. Yep. And Listen, so, I'm, I'm excited about the HomePod. I'm going to buy one. I like high-end audio. Um, I like the technology behind it. And I like the idea of having Siri and a speaker so I can control HomeKit and stuff. But let's be real. The vast majority of consumers don't care about this product and care even less when it costs $350. And now the fact well, that they can't ship it on time and they announced it <laughs> you know, six months ahead of time and couldn't, and couldn't ship it, uh, is embarrassing. And hold on. I mean, Beats gets away with shipping a $299 or $349 product, right? Sure. Okay. So it's not outside the realm of possibility for this to succeed in its price point. I would love to hear what the most popular Beats headphones are. No, I'm not talking headphones. I'm thinking about speakers, right? People buy the Bose speaker dock. How many, how many, how many Beats speakers are being sold? Beats um, pill, right? Well, the pill or, you know, in the old day, it was the Bose sound dock, right? Sonos. Hmm. Yeah. Hang on a second. You got a second for me to, to, to indulge me? And we'll just sure. put a second of this out. Isn't, isn't this entire thing to indulge? Well, yes, but is it indulging me or indulging <laughs> the listeners? <laughs> so I'm, I'm searching my... 
I've got unit volumes by percent in dollar and sales for a quarter. This is historical data. It's going back a ways. I mean, this is this is years mm-hmm. old data now, but for the fourth quarter of 2010, I've got data on i on all of the speaker doc mm-hmm. category, and the top sellers were iHome mm-hmm. and Bose. And iHome specializes in what? Cheap, crappy speaker docs. Yep. And Bose at the high end. Mm-hmm. So iHome owned 24.5% of the market, and Bose owned 19.1% of the market at that time. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, by by dollar volume, iHome was doing a lot more. Mm-hmm. The the iHome dollar volume was forty four point six percent of the market. And in the seven years since, the cheap stuff has gotten better. So yeah, I mean, like these the UE. I have the the roll and the um, I don't know. These. Oh yeah, Logitech nailed it. <laughs> these things are awesome. They're like I got this. Is, it's like a little flat speaker that's louder than flat disc yeah yeah it's a disc it's uh it's waterproof you can throw it in the pool it costs 100 the bucks boom. Awesome. the cylinder the cylinder yeah. is even better man and i have i have the roll um they gave me one of those at their press event earlier this year it's awesome i bring it to the park with me it sounds awesome thing costs like 75 bucks so listen I'm going to buy a HomePod. I'm excited about a HomePod, but I have to be realistic about the HomePod. And here's the truth of it. Apple announced the thing six months ago. Couldn't get it out on time. That's embarrassing for a company that prides itself on being able to do this. Not only that, they're coming to market late. They're coming to market overpriced. And they're going to miss out on a lot of sales this Christmas with people that are buying a $50 Google Home or even the uh, the Mini uh, or even the $400 Google Home Max that's going for the same market that the HomePod does and has that same beam-forming technology that you're talking about that Apple couldn't ship this year. Or they're going to get an Amazon Alexa product, of which there are many that are not made by Amazon that are just running the software for Alexa. So Apple completely blew it on this product. It's an embarrassment for them and heads will will and should roll at the company for it because that is inexcusable. Can I talk a little bit about what I think they're making another mistake on with this thing? Sure. So they are pitching this as the music speaker. Right. Which is a makes it a, a more of a niche niche market than it would have been anyhow. Yes, and and as said, yeah, that's a very small market for an aging number of people. Right, kids are not going out and aspiring for the good music speaker unless they're the audiophile nerd kid, right. and those are fewer and fewer every day. Right, because there's no need for them to be. Right, the you know if the overriding point is enjoying music, you don't have to seek out the pristine digital audio converter. You don't have to get the right DAC and the right power amp and all of this stuff to enjoy your music necessarily. So it's already aimed at a very small number of people intentionally, right? They, they must, they're not stupid. They must know that uh, who are they selling this to? Eddie Q? (laughs) Maybe. Eddie and who else, right? What's the point of this thing? So the other side of this is the Siri functionality, which they are downplaying a little Mm -hmm. bit. And some of the suspicion is that the reason this thing is late is because of the Siri functionality. Well, I mean, let's be honest. Siri is not that good. On top of that, Siri and HomeKit are are its own bag of, mm-hmm. of troubles, right? You can use Siri to control HomeKit, but as we've stu- discussed, you have to know the exact right syntax, the exact right names of your devices to yep. get it right. You know, it's going up against Amazon Alexa that's got a two-year head start and a load of skills. And even if... All of those home automation skills comprise, say, 20% of the actual use of Alexa. And I'm ballparking right. that number. But it's it's something proportionally like that. The vast majority of people using Amazon Alexa use it to play music. 
Second to that are the trivia kinds of questions or the ask the homework questions. The home media control is there, but you have to have the fire device. So that's kind of a lesser use. The actual controlling home automation stuff with Alexa is about that 20% kind of range. So Apple's got this thing and it needs to be able to do better than let me search the web for that. (laughs) Yeah. And it needs to be able to play from music sources, perhaps outside Mm -hmm. of Apple Music. Although that's one thing that you could contend, you know, we could have a discussion about, right? If you're buying all in on a 349 device, are you willing to spend 10 bucks a month on Apple Music? Maybe. But the beauty of an Amazon Alexa at 29 bucks is that you can say, I want my primary music source to not be Amazon Music. Instead, I want it to pull from Spotify as right. my primary music source or Pandora or any one of these, like they have six or seven or eight providers of music that you can use with Amazon Alexa. With Google Home, you say, play this song and it pulls it up from YouTube and it works brilliantly pretty much. I, I can't recall a time when Google Home has failed to give me the answer I was looking for. So they are entering this thing at a disadvantage. Would you agree? Absolutely. In terms of a personal assistant, yeah. Um, Bloomberg had a story this week uh, after the HomePod was delayed, kind of detailing the history, a five-year development history of the HomePod, which started out as a primarily a speaker and not a home assistant. And then over the years, the Siri functionality kind of got tacked on as this thing – changed like at one point it was like three feet tall and stuff like it's like they had all these different so here's here's what happens right first of all apple has within its employee people who were audio engineers who formerly worked on speaker products and the you know it's one of the things that happens is that when you have a little bit of time you you try and do skunkworks projects right you you try and build something just to see if you can and see what you can learn and maybe there's something patentable out of it yeah right And so, yeah, prototypes range from a flat panel with a mesh screen to one that measures three feet tall, like you said, with dozens of speakers Mm -hmm. in it, because, you know, you're trying to to see what you can do and what you can learn. You know, I I worked for a company that made consumer electronics products, and we made speaker projects there for a time. And I took old products that we had made and modified them. I shoehorned Bluetooth and stuff that never intended to have Bluetooth in it. Uh, I was trying to work on being able to use Bluetooth to do multiple pairs of left and rights, which at the time in 2008 was unheard of. Um, I was trying to do things with multiple speaker arrays. So we did some of these ones that had 12 speaker cones in it. You know, like what's the sound bar for your computers like? Mm-hmm. And why would you want that? <laughs> because there was this time, you know, if you think back in history, a little bit older than 2008, if you go back to the the early 2000s, uh, DVD players were expensive. A DVD player was like four or 500 mm-hmm. bucks, but you could get a PC with a DVD player in it. And people used their computers as their DVD yeah. players. Great. So what do you do for audio? Well, let's think about that. So all of these things are just R&D skunk work experiments. And you got to try. So they made this thing. They played with it for a while. They turned the project off. They came back. They turned the project back on. And over time, they they were surprised by the other developments, right? When when all of a sudden Amazon Echo comes out and there's a voice assistant built into it, then you have to figure out what to do with that. Now, the, the original Echo, the, speak, the speaker quality is pretty terrible. The Echo Dot has an audio line out and Bluetooth out so that you can pair it to your good speakers or your receiver. 
You know, the, everyone understands that when you're trying to shoehorn these these things into very small enclosures, that unless you do some very advanced DSP work, you are going to fight up against the laws of physics. You have to have volume and air to move sound. I mean, if you couldn't tell, I'm salty about this. And and here's really the, here's the no. cynic's view of what happened. Apple wanted something to announce hardware-wise that was new and fresh at WWDC. They saw themselves falling behind in this space. They had something that was half-developed um, in in their skunk works, and they said, all right, well, let's just go with this. And they threw it out there. They were ambitious, hoping they could get it to market. They bit off more than they could chew. They had to focus on getting the iPhone 10 done to ship in time for November. Um, they had to finish developing iOS 11. It's a company that can't uh, share their focus on developing multiple products and, and services and apps at once. Um, they're very one-track-minded kind of company, and so they blew it. And they announced it. They couldn't live up to it. They couldn't get it done in time. They realized it has too many shortcomings, whether they're technical problems or Siri problems or whatever. None of this is to say that this product is going to be a bust. None of this is to say that the product is going to be bad. Um, by baking in the A8 processor in there with no real need to run a display or anything else, this thing has the brains to be updated for years to come. And because Siri is based out of the cloud, um, as long as it has the hardware responsiveness to handle that and a good network connection, the, the sky is the limit for this product in terms of becoming a true competitor to the likes of Alexa, Google Home, whatever. So this is not to say that you can throw out this product or, or discard what it's capable of. But the truth is because they couldn't ship it on time and because it doesn't do many of the things that products currently do on the market. I mean, we know exactly how well Siri is going to perform because we already have it on a number of other devices. And we know that it falls short in a number of ways. So short of them scrambling to really improve Siri in a meaningful way across all devices and platforms... Uh, it's going to be the same Siri you've dealt with before, which is to say that it's not going to be that impressive. Well, ho hold on, because Siri is different on each one of these devices. Siri on the yeah, Mac can do Mac. some things that Siri on the phone can do, that Apple TV has different capabilities. CarPlay has a limited set for a reason because you're in a car and supposed to be driving stupid. The thing that concerns me is something bigger than all of this. I, I am thinking about what is the platform strategy at Apple? What are they thinking about as a product lineup holistic sense? And what is their direction from this point to the future? It's the successor to the iPod Hi-Fi. That's how they're viewing it. And it's a mistake. And it's going yeah, to perform poorly in that respect. They're, they're making a giant mistake yep. if that's what they're viewing it as. Well, that's how they're positioning it. They're positioning it as a speaker and not a home assistant. Yes, but that may be because they recognize that they don't have Siri together yet for it. And how long is it going to take them to get it together? That's a very good question. But my, but the bigger question, like I said, the, the sky's the limit for the potential of it with the hardware. They, they can, they can update it on a, on a long enough timeline. Anything could happen, but that's not realistic. What we're talking about is what can they do in the next couple of years, because that's a definitive timeline as opposed to, uh, well, they could fix everything if they had ten years. Well, forget that. That doesn't make sense. What I'm saying is. What is their vision for Siri as a platform across all of these things? What is their vision for their cloud and their cloud services across all of these things? Because right now, it feels to me like they're viewing it very product-centric and very serially consecutively as opposed to holistically. You know, today we're focusing on iPhone. Okay, we're going to fix the iPhone. Oh, crap. Now we got to go update the iPads. Oh, boy. Now we got to get the iMac out. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. We said that we were going to do this HomePod thing. Now we got to go get it out. And they're scrambling. Yep. 
And there's no holistic view that says that in three years, Siri is unified across all these things. Or there's no concentrated effort that improves. These things lie fallow. They get stale. They bit rot. My, my example this morning is Apple TV apps and the games. The gaming on Apple TV is, is bit rot, buggy, and neglected. And had Apple really focused on it, it could have been a platform, yep. but it's not. It could have been a mini console that a bunch of people could have affordably gotten into and played good games on. Mm-hmm. Minecraft, for God's sakes. Minecraft has been buggy on that thing since day one and gotten very few updates. And all the other platforms are supported because Apple hasn't given it its attention. Well, it- they focused on everything else. And so this is going to come out and it's going to get focused on for its initial release and then maybe it'll lie fallow and be forgotten for a few years, and then they'll come back to it. Sounds likely to me. And does that not concern you about what Apple's doing and how this Apple is different from former Apples? I mean, has Apple ever done that very well? For, former Apples former Apples scrambled because they had a smaller team and had to move the team's focus around from time to time. But we're talking about an Apple that now has serious billions and isn't forced to scramble in the same way. I, you know, whatever this is in the grand scheme of things, this product is minor in every respect. Uh, it is not going to sell a lot. Then why are they doing it? Cause they have to, because otherwise they'd be left behind in a market that's growing. So they have to get their foot in the door. So they're going to do it as a minor product and, 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 Pay it lip service, basically. I mean, they've done the same thing with the Apple TV. This frustrates me. <laughs> you know what? I'm frustrated. If, if for for I am all frustrated. the issues that I have with the Apple TV and, and what you said about apps which was absolutely true. It's still my primary device that I use to stream stuff because it gives me a consistent, good experience. And I see myself using the HomePod regularly and being happy with it because of sound quality, reliability, privacy, and security. There's a market for this, but I'm also an Apple fan and somebody who's heavily invested in the ecosystem. What really bothers me more than anything about the HomePod delay is we haven't heard anything about AirPlay 2 or AirPlay 2 support from any speakers. So we have no idea when any of these devices are coming out, and we have no idea if it's held up because we don't know what's going on because Apple hasn't even provided any information to third-party manufacturers that are supposed to be able to make AirPlay 2 speakers or update their current ones to support AirPlay 2. I'm heavily invested in AirPlay 2. I have two airport expresses. Um, I have a receiver with AirPlay, and I have a, a set of standalone speakers with AirPlay built in. I want AirPlay 2. I want to upgrade all of my stuff to support AirPlay 2. I want to get a HomePod. I want to do all this stuff. But not only did they not ship on time, we don't even know what's going on. We don't know why they didn't ship on time. And we have no idea what's going on with AirPlay 2. If they didn't provide the firmware to these companies, then they can't actually update their own stuff. If they haven't provided specifications to let them know what devices that they make that are going to be possible to be updated to AirPlay 2. You know, like uh, someone in the comments uh, on a, uh, the story or video that we ran on this this week was saying, you know, oh, I'm, I'm interested in the DVLet Phantom, which is a high-end, very fancy speaker, that, yeah, that's but, but it has built-in AirPlay. Is it going to support AirPlay 2? 
Nobody knows. Not even DVLet knows. You can ask them and they don't know because they weren't given any information by Apple. Um, uh, uh, Master and Dynamic just started shipping this like giant concrete speaker that has built-in support for Bluetooth. And guess what? Uh, Google Chromecast doesn't have support for AirPlay built-in. And it's an expensive premium speaker from a company that partners very closely with Apple and gets their expensive headphones featured in Apple stores. Why doesn't it have AirPlay 1? Why doesn't it have AirPlay 2? I don't know. And, you know, they, they've created a mess on the market now because... People that are invested in AirPlay want to buy these speakers, want to have it for the holidays, want to upgrade their system, want all this stuff. They announced the spec and nobody has said anything since. It reminds me of like when FaceTime was yeah, announced hold, and it was, oh, you know, we're going to make it an open spec and everybody can tap into it or whatever. And they just silently never did anything about it. They shouldn't have announced this in any capacity because they've just made it frustrating for me as a consumer. Yeah. So first of all, FaceTime, that one still sticks in my craw. That should have been an open spec. And and the word is that it wasn't right. because of lawsuits. But sure. annoying, still annoying. The I, I think part of what happened is that AirPlay did not succeed in the market the way that Apple wanted it to when it was originally released. You know, the the problem back then was that every single AirPlay speaker, by virtue of having AirPlay, added a hundred dollars to the cost of a similar speaker without AirPlay. And that was because you're basically putting a UPnP AV system inside the speaker. That's what the, the original reference design was based off right. of, was UPMPAV. And AirPlay was basically that with a few tweaks. Um, people like Marvell Semiconductor provided some of the reference designs for this. There were others too. The So that this was the problem, was that it didn't sell in number to many people because it added 100 bucks to the cost. And it was very visible that it was 100 bucks to the cost. And everyone said, why am I paying $100 more right. for the same speaker with AirPlay? And so Bluetooth really won out at that time. But Bluetooth sucks. That's the Beats pill. Um, it, it does, and Bluetooth does, has gotten better over has, time. But, but we still have the W1 chip for a reason. We have the W1 chip for a reason, and, and part of the W1 chip is the codec that Apple mm -hmm. is using to transfer the music. The So with, with Bluetooth, you get SPC, or, or the typical um, ba basically lowest common denominator right. form of encoding. And on top of that, you can sometimes use aptX. And aptX is something that, uh, blanking on the name, begins with a C, CMS, CRS, uh, prominent Bluetooth supplier uses and gives away license free. So everyone can have aptX. And aptX is supported as a codec in Mac, in Mac OS, but it is not supported in iOS intentionally so that Apple can use their own. Apple really wanted to be able to push AirPlay. Apple really wanted to be able to have it uh, it, it work like that. So they made Bluetooth not have AppDex in iOS. And if iOS had supported AppDex, then it would be everywhere by now, and Bluetooth would well, be just as good. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the history is. But it doesn't matter not. what the history is. And so now we're in the happened. W1 AirPlay chip. Two is. Well, AirPlay 2 is announced That's in how June, we got and there. it's an opportunity for Apple to wipe the slate clean from everything that happened before. They haven't shipped it. They haven't provided it to manufacturers. I don't even know if my Airport Express is going to be updated to support AirPlay 2. Probably not. I mean, certainly they're not going to update the hardware. Supposedly they've abandoned the, the router business, so it won't get 802.11ac. So the current one that I have is 802.11n, and there's no guarantee that I'm even going to be able to get any 
AirPlay 2 support on this device, which is the only one that Apple ships with built-in AirPlay support. That's the only thing they've ever had with built-in AirPlay support until the HomePod comes out. So, you know, it would make this right if they could fix it. And I mean, we're almost into December now, so I don't think it's going to happen. But they could say, okay, well, we're not shipping the HomePod this year, but here's a great assortment of AirPlay 2 speakers currently available for you to buy until the HomePod comes out or in place of the HomePod if you so desire. And among those is our own Airport Express that you can plug any speaker into you want, including a Bluetooth one. But, you know, they just, they, they drop the ball on this in every way, whether it's the HomePod or AirPlay 2 or anything. The speaker game in 2017, Apple blew it, and they deserve all the shame that they're getting. Absolutely. You know, speaking of shame, I want to talk for a minute. So I, uh, my, my wife listens to the news in a number of different countries, and she was telling me this morning that one of Apple's um, resellers for a country in the Middle East, iDigital, was on their national TV this morning talking about iPhone 10 and how great iPhone 10 was, but strongly advised everyone who buys an iPhone 10 to get a screen protector and to put a really good case on it. Right. Because big surprise, if you have a phone with a glass back and a glass front and you drop it, <laughs> what could happen? Not good. Yes. I mean, we have yet to develop unbreakable glass. And, you know, I, I, I heard that and I was thinking about just that's really awkward because the the head of an Apple authorized reseller for a whole region is advising people to put protectors and cases on a product that Apple classically does not really want you to put cases or protectors on. I mean, their their position has for years been that you should you should just use your device as it is, that it's perfect as it is. And then of course they sell the Apple cases if you really want, but they don't have screen protectors right. for sale. They don't think it needs one. And so that that was an interesting point for me. But I want to mention that one of our supporters of the show today is Spec. So whether you've already gotten your new iPhone or you'll be getting one as a gift, the, the new glass backs can mean that getting the right case is more important than ever. You know, the phone is new, but we, we haven't gotten any less clumsy, have we? So Spec provides a range of slim and stylish cases to keep that gadget looking great. They make clear cases that let the beauty of your iPhone shine through, and they make clear printed cases that add some style to it, all of which protect the phone from drops of at least 8 feet. And if that isn't enough, they also make a case called the Rugged Presidio Ultra that protects from drops up to 15 feet. So starting Black Friday, all the way through Cyber Monday, you can get 25% off spec cases for the iPhone 8, 8 Plus, and iPhone 10 at specproducts.com slash Apple Insider. And keep the rest of your device protected with 30% off of MacBook cases and 40% off of everything else. And that's at specproducts.com slash Apple Insider. That's S-P-E-C-K products.com. So whether for you or someone else, remember that spec cases are designed for impact. Now, Neil, you've got a, uh, a spec case there, don't you? Yeah, they uh, sent over a really nice case uh, for the iPhone 10. Um, and my wife has an iPhone 10 uh, and it's a flowery uh, case. So I figured maybe it was better suited for her and she likes it. Um, she's been using it on her phone. So what are you saying? You don't like flowers? <laughs> uh, she she likes to have, you know, cases that like match or for certain situations and stuff like that, colors and stuff. And uh, so she snapped on the uh, the iPhone 10 case from Spec, um, and she's really been very happy with it. It works with wireless charging. It works on the dock that she has uh, on her nightstand. Um, it protects it. It's uh, pretty robust and, and and nice looking. So definitely recommend it. Very cool. And I have a uh, Presidio clear case on an iPhone 8 Plus currently. And what I like about this case is is that it was 
easy to put on and and pliable and and you know it's been a little difficult to take off but for the most part it's really protective it's on there it's not going anywhere and it takes bumps and drops like a champ i have dropped it a couple times and i can see a little bit of evidence of that but for the most part this thing looks just as good as it did coming out of the box I feel pretty so. I'm I'm handing this phone off. This is an eight plus. I'm actually handing this phone off to a relative, and this relative has a reputation for being a little clumsy, and so I feel confident having that case on there, knowing that this is probably going to be the case that will prevent mm-hmm. damage happening to the phone. I feel pretty good about that. Now, speaking about iPhones, you know, I, I know we just got our 2017 iPhones. Are we going to talk a little bit about the 2018 iPhones? <laughs> I guess so. It never ends. I, it, you know, this is one of our reader comments was, we, we just got them. Can't you wait us a little bit? Can you give us a <laughs> well, chance to enjoy the 2017 We don't ones? control when the rumors we come start out. again. It's not really in our in our control. So, well, You're a publisher. You certainly do control when they come out. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, push, I'm a publisher that needs to stay in business. So, <laughs> well, if, I, if I pass on something because people just got their phones, then I won't, then I won't do very well. So, Yeah, we don't, we don't last yeah. very long that way, do we? <laughs> So the next generation iPhone lineup for about this time next year is rumored to support LTE antenna technology for ultra fast transmission speeds designated by the 4x4 MIMO standards. So this is LTE gigabit. This is super fast LTE. And uh, Ming-Chi Kuo, Mm -hmm. our favorite, your favorite and mine, said that Apple is going to likely upgrade the antenna design to include FPCB or flexible circuit boards crafted from liquid crystal polymer. Usually, FCP, FPCBs are made out of polyamide, but the uh, liquid crystal will have superior frequency attenuation and better thermal performance and, and be better moisture resistant. So it's going to be pretty cool. There are currently two liquid crystal polymer FCPCBs in the iPhone 10, and the iPhone 8 supports a single one. So they're going to put two of these in every phone, if not more, Quote says. The other thing that we can see here is the uh, the, the sizes mm-hmm. of these mockups. We discussed this a little bit last time, right? The 6.5-inch OLED, the 5.8-inch OLED that we currently have, mm-hmm. and a 6.1-inch TFT LCD. So the sizes change, the antennae change. Um, you know, it's it's there's always a bit of catch-up and, and push and pull to this, right? One pulls ahead, then the competitor pulls forward. So the, the Samsung Galaxy S8 was the first one to support these gigabit speeds. But there's there's also this push and right. pull between which carriers support which. So they, they go ahead and put these technologies in, but you can't actually take advantage of them until carriers get them turned on. And and so all of these things sort of right. lurch and halt to get going, right? Yeah, it's, you know, it, it, it's incremental progress, uh, you know, whether or not the carriers support this stuff. Um, you know, I, I don't think that that's going to be a major selling point for uh, next year's iPhones, frankly. Uh, but... It's nice to see that, you know, next generation technology is coming down the pike. What about your favorite phone, the iPhone SE? Uh, the iPhone SE is, uh, there have been rumors here and there. They come up occasionally, and so we got one this week. Um, it's pretty much what you'd expect. We're looking at uh, iPhone SE 2 to come out in the first half of 2018. If I had to guess, probably March or April time frame, Apple tends to launch new products around then. Um, they tend to be minor products, and... So I wouldn't be surprised to see some form of uh, MacBook slash Mac Pro update around that time, along with the iPhone SE 2. Uh, there were some mock-ups this week, uh, dreaming of an iPhone SE with an edge-to-edge OLED display. Don't hold your breath. Um, they're not gonna. They're not gonna undermine the iPhone 8 and iPhone 8 Plus 
six months after they ship uh, with a smaller, fresh design. Um, I would imagine that the SE is going to keep pretty much the same design. Potential logical upgrades for it would be um, adding a 3D touch display, better cameras, faster processor, that kind of stuff. Uh, but, but beyond that, I don't see any major additions coming to the product. Um, it's not going to get an edge to edge design. I doubt that it'll ditch the home button. I wouldn't be surprised if it even keeps the headphone jack. Um, I think that it's going to keep the same general design and, and be continue to be priced as a budget phone uh, at the $350, $400 range, uh, as we've talked about before. So don't, don't get too excited about mock-ups and other dreams that are out there about these devices. Uh, I don't see that happening. But March, April makes sense because um, Apple has said that they're going to um, update the Mac Pro. And so... I could see either the Mac Pro coming then or maybe as late as WWDC. But we also, don't forget, have uh, eGPU support, external graphics cards for the Mac coming next spring, assuming it doesn't get delayed. So it wouldn't surprise me to see some sort of grand coming out party when eGPU support comes out of beta for uh, High Sierra to see Apple-sanctioned or preferred external graphics cards and displays, uh, better lineup of displays. And Apple has also said that alongside the new Mac Pro, they're working on a new external display um, for the Mac Pro that will be Apple-branded display, so they won't be depending on LG anymore uh, after the LG wireless interference fiasco. So all of those products would make sense to come in the first half of the year, somewhere between March and June, um, and it would probably make sense to do them all at the same media event. So that would be my uh, completely speculative guess for next year or first half of the year. One of the things that I'm wondering about is having this many different screen resolutions. Does that make it difficult for developers? You know, that's one of the old... You know, that's one of the things yeah. we used to talk about with Android was their million different screens. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. Um, on the iPhone, you have a 4-inch, 4.7, 5.5, 5.8, and now we're potentially looking at 6.1 and 6.5. On the iPad, you have 7.9, 9.7, 10.5, and 12.9. Um, yeah, uh, I, I don't I don't know. Uh, how difficult that makes it for developers. I haven't heard anything, um, but that used to be one of the th claims uh, uh, that Apple had and Apple fans uh, that gave it a, a, an advantage over Android devices. Uh, but, you know, there's something to be said for offering different form factors and different price points. And that's something that Android has done very well at for a while and something that Apple has slowly started to adopt because it's good to give consumers options. So how much of a problem that is for developers, I can't say. Um, but uh, I think that it's ultimately good for consumers when you have more options at more price points. All right. Let's talk for a moment about the iMac Pro. Supposedly still coming uh, this year. Um, yeah. Yeah? <laughs> it's, they We're said it's coming in December. Here. It was supposed to come alongside <laughs> the HomePod in December. The HomePod has been delayed. The iMac Pro has not been mentioned, so as far as we know, it's still coming in December. Uh, it would be really, really embarrassing if they don't ship it. I think that my guess what's going to happen with the iMac Pro is the same thing that happened with the Mac Pro a few years ago. They said they'd ship it before the end of the year, and I think they shipped like five of them at 11.59 p.m. on December 31st, and they barely made the deadline. Nobody really got their Mac Pro, but they shipped a few of them, and they said, hey, look, we're shipping. 
Um, I would not be surprised if the iMac Pro is the same thing after Christmas. We're still going, when is this thing going to ship? And then, you know, a couple days before the end of the year, Apple ships a handful of them or starts taking orders or whatever. Um, this product is exciting for pros, but for the average person, a little, a little out of their price range, $5,000 for an all-in-one desktop. Uh, but the rumor that came out this week, and uh, and uh, Victor, you covered this story for us. Uh, some people were digging through some code in High Sierra and found uh, evidence that there's actually going to be an A10 chip in the iMac Pro, which raises a lot of interesting possibilities for what Apple could do with the um, coprocessor in that situation that would be working in tandem with the Intel, Intel processor. So there were a number of functionalities discussed, right? There was the Hey Siri functionality. There was the note that the FaceTime camera right. runs through the A10 Fusion processor, that all of these things seem to be tied through it. One of the most interesting parts of it was that it, right. it seems to be running secure boot. So, you know, this, that that leads to all kinds of interesting things for a discussion on boot camp, mm -hmm. booting other operating systems. Um, it has an impact on the um, mm -hmm. the the Hackintosh scene, well, man. which we don't discuss I, a whole lot. I, but there are people. I don't think that that who, is the reason that Apple's doing it. <laughs> well, no, they're doing it because they can right. deliver more functionality that they couldn't otherwise deliver. Well, yeah, right? you know, Hey Siri goal. is is an obvious one. It's oh, I just triggered it all. Hi, let me not say that. <laughs> Um, th that's an obvious one, um, <laughs> for developers. Cause you have to think about it from a pro perspective, right? Like I saw some speculation about like security and, uh, you know, uh, some sort of like mobile device security with an iMac pro. It's like, eh, that might be setting the stage for something with a MacBook pro, but, uh, not, not really iMac pro specific, but, um, two things that really stand out to me. Number one, you already have some form of a custom chip in the MacBook pro with touch bar, uh, which allows for the so-called bridge OS to run, which is a stripped down version of iOS that works in tandem with Mac OS to have um, the, the display on the touch bar work. So having some form of an A10 chip in there um, could potentially work with a, uh, if they decide to make one, a magic keyboard with touch bar, uh, which could bring touch ID and the secure enclave and, um, uh, Apple Pay and all that stuff, along with the Touch Bar, to the Mac Pro, which or to the iMac Pro, which I think would be a logical thing to do. It makes sense, and I think that would be exciting. Well, well, hang on, hang on. If you're running the FaceTime camera through an A10 Fusion coprocessor, then that also leaves the door open for putting the True Depth camera in and using Potentially, uh, Face the ID problem is the, the facial recognition capabilities of the iPhone 10 rely on the A11 processor, um, the Bionic. I, I didn't say we we're going to get it in the first version. Right. It lays the groundwork for it potentially. It leaves the door yeah. open. Yeah. I think that what would make sense is some form of a magic keyboard with Touch ID and Touch Bar. Um, with secure enclave that would securely wirelessly talk to the iMac Pro um, and allow you to do things like Apple Pay, authorization, that sort of stuff. Um, but the other possibility that you have with having a built-in A10 chip, obviously, is some sort of capability to natively run iOS apps on your iMac Pro. Now, why would you want to do that? 
Well, uh, if you are a pro running a pro machine, maybe you're a developer who makes apps for iOS, and it would be much easier for you to be able to test them and use them in a daily way, not through Xcode. Uh, and potentially down the road, uh, you already have the largest app store on the planet, the most successful one. Why not bring those apps to the Mac? Why not let them run for users and stuff like that? So you could be seeing Apple laying around. As opposed to the Mac, Mac app store that already exists, <laughs> Which, but hasn't worked out very well. <laughs> if you make it easy to run yeah. iOS apps on there and, and have options, um, I think that, you know, that would be a good thing for consumers. I think that a lot of people would find some appeal in that. Um, yeah. I think the baby step is that you can run the simulator instead of having to emulate mm-hmm. the iOS and the ARM chip on the Mac through Xcode, that your emulation isn't an emulation, it's just running it right there on the correct processor. And that the the second step to that is the single binary, the fat mm-hmm. binary, where you write once, you make your storyboards for the interface and you make them suitable for your different screen sizes, your iPad, your four variants of iPhone size, and also your Mac size. And then you click compile and you get your Mac and iOS app in one, which is actually the direction that uh, Microsoft was going a few years ago when they still cared about Windows Phone. Yeah, I I, I think that they're laying the groundwork for that. And I think it's exciting. And we talk a lot about a Mac potentially running Um, an Apple A-series chip, and I think this might be how you do it. Um, I think that maybe you start with developers, let them tap into the tools, kind of iron out the kinks. Then you ship a Mac, a low-end one that is, you know, a Mac mini or a 12-inch MacBook powered entirely by an A-series chip, but also a MacBook Pro that runs both. So you can have... uh, from an end user experience, it doesn't really make a difference. Uh, but for a pro, you still have the horsepower of the Intel chip when you need it. Um, but you also have the convenience, power savings, um, and broad platform that an A-series chip and, and iOS would bring for you. Um, I think that that is ultimately very exciting. And I could see this laying the groundwork for it. If, if, the, if the iMac Pro ships with an A10 chip, um, I would expect that it's not going to do a lot of these things. It's the start. Um, I would expect that it would be kind of limited, but you don't put in that powerful of a chip. <laughs> Let's not forget the A10 uh, X powers the latest iPad Pros. Uh, this is a very you, you have a ton of A10 X. You have a ton of A8 on hand. You can and you're making more A8s for a HomePod. So it's not like you need the fastest chip unless you have other plans. Yeah, and and so I think when it ships, it may just be something as simple as. Touch ID and Secure Enclave, but don't be surprised if WWDC next year uh, we see new MacBook Pros with tandem chips and the announcement of a new operating system that's going to tap into both Intel and A-series chips to do some pretty cool stuff. Definitely. I want to take a moment to talk about my mattress. I have a Casper mattress, and Casper is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. So they have three models now. They have the original Casper, the Wave, and the Essential, and they're designed to soothe and cradle your natural geometry. And they're breathable, so you stay cool, which helps you regulate your temperature throughout the night. You know, one of the things, the reason why people toss and turn is because they get hot in the night and their body's trying to, to move to get cooler. And having a mattress that breathes means you don't end up tossing and turning. You get a better sleep. 
and it's delivered right to your door in a small kind of how-do-they-do-that-sized box. They compress the mattress in, and you unbox it and unfold it, and it just it inflates itself as it sucks in air, basically. And it's free shipping and returns in the U.S. and Canada. And you can try it out for 100 nights risk-free on a trial. So I, I have really enjoyed this. It's been firm, but not too firm. It's It's been one of those things where you want support, but you don't sink into it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You've got one of these things too. What do you think? Very happy with it. Um, the delivery uh, is awesome. They bring it right to your home. You get to try it. Um, if you don't like it, it's comfortable. Um, yeah, very pleased. Yeah. So start sleeping ahead of the curve with Casper. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash insider and using insider at checkout. That's casper.com slash insider. The offer code insider for $50 off of your mattress purchase. Terms and conditions may apply. Now, we have an acquisition news today. We do. Apple has reportedly acquired a Canadian augmented reality headset startup called Vervana or VRvana for $30 million. Yeah, that's... uh... Apple doesn't do a lot of uh, super expensive um, acquisitions, and and while $30 million is couch coins for Apple, um, that's actually a a decent-sized acquisition for them. Um, And, you know, this kind of paves the way with their ambitions going forward. Supposedly, they're internally developing augmented reality headset of, of some type. Obviously, a lot of investment in AR on current iPhones and iPads and that sort of stuff. So they're working on stuff... Um, who knows if we'll ever see the light of day or, or be, um, what we envision, but I think, uh, it's, it's a good move and it sounds like a logical acquisition for them. Yeah. And I, you know, I looked at what's going on in these headsets because we've seen a bunch of them and this one is using an array of cameras to track live views of the outside world. And it displays on OLED panels in front of a user's eyes. Mm-hmm. So it can do head tracking and positioning without having to have the other kind of reference equipment like a, an HTC Vive right. has. And it uses infrared cameras to assist in user hand tracking, which is important if you're trying to manipulate use objects. You have to track the hands. So this is, this is kind of an interesting one. Now, they've never released it, but this is what people who've seen it say that it has. And... Uh, you know, the, the, we've, we've had these kind of rumors in the past, right, that there was going to be a headset that it was going to run on a ROS, a reality yeah. operating system. And it's, it's curious to see these things come together. You know, I, I am a firm believer that augmented reality makes a ton of sense and that voice and, and virtual reality are our future interfaces. So it's... Um, I remain skeptical that anybody could bring to market an all-day... I know. You don't You don't think anyone wants a headboard well, thing. Well, no. I I don't, it. It, it's but. not that they don't want a headboard thing. I just don't think the technology is there to have something that you would wear all day. I could see it in limited-use applications. Yeah, this goes back to our long-enough timeline problem, right? On a long-enough timeline, you know, when, when it's not glasses, but when it instead is contact lenses... Yeah, but the right? technology is nowhere near or, there. <laughs> surgical implants in your eyes exactly right. long enough time if, if apple's going to get into this market it's going to be for uh certain limited use applications and it could be a very big seller for that but um it's not going to be something that you wear all day because the technology just isn't there for that yeah but it's it's watching apple make these purchases and make these moves tells us that they Absolutely. think there's something there because the the number of times that they have gone down a path and there have been a lot of public noise about it like this and abandoned it are right. vanishingly small. 
you know, it's it's one thing when they develop something in-house and we might hear a whisper of it and they abandon it like it never happened because it just didn't pan out is one thing. But the the number of times they've gone down this path and given up, uh, I can think of, of really only the Sapphire acquisition from Liquid a couple metal. years ago. Yep. Well, okay, Liquid Metal, I'll grant you that too. But that's that's kind of it. What else you got? Uh, I mean, you know, they've... Well, they've made a lot of AR think, related acquisitions, but that stuff has already been implemented in AR Kit now. So, uh, my, yeah, there, and, it came and then, to fruition. And they there was a was rumor this week about micro LED, and we've talked about that and how that could uh, lead to a lot of new things for the watch and for AR headsets and, and future devices, including potentially getting rid of the notch on future iPhones with Face ID. But yeah, I, I yeah, think I all mean, these things the, come together. I think micro LED again. You have to think small when it comes to a lot of this stuff, just in terms of cost and in terms of the capability to bring it to market. So micro LED, as we've talked about before, makes the most sense to come first on the watch because the screen is the smallest. And so it makes it more affordable to put it on there. And then the technologies that you see introduced in the watch then could make their way to future devices, just as Apple has done with the watch and stuff coming to the iPhone and, and other product lineups. So um, you see when Apple pioneers and creates a new um, product line um, that stuff gradually comes to the other products. And so that's why you're inevitably going to see Face ID on an iPad and a Mac and that sort of stuff. Um, that's just the way that the company works. And so it will be interesting to see the technology that they pioneer with an AR headset and then inevitably bring to their other product lines. But um, because of where technology is right now, um, I think that you should think small in terms of an AR headset if Apple were to make one in the next three, four years. All right, I'll, I'll take that. I uh, it sort of remains to be seen, doesn't it? We we have to wait for yeah, a little more definitely. to develop here. Yeah. Meanwhile, this is a story we've been covering for ages, ages and ages and ages, right? And this is ap- about right. Project Titan, the car project. And you know, people have said, and people, including people on this co- podcast, Apple's never going to make a car. Apple should get out of this entirely. Apple should entirely give up on it. Apple has even entirely given up on it, people have said. And here we have research, Apple's published, showing that Apple's able to use neural networks, trainable neural networks, and 3D point clouds to improve accuracy in LiDAR navigation. So they can better visualize what's a car, what's a pedestrian, what's a cyclist, and identify those and and then navigate around them or navigate accordingly. Um, so this is, this is voxel net, which is what they're talking about, which is the point cloud, uh, is a voxel. So they create these point clouds by emitting laser pulses and then logging the time that it takes for the light to return and then decide what that object is. And Apple seems to see, suggest that this outperforms current LiDAR based detected mal- algorithms by a large margin. It's kind of a, an impressive thing. So the question is, what are they trying to accomplish here? Are they going to make a LiDAR system for other people? Are they going to make naviga- full navigation systems for other right. people? Because they've got a lot of competition in this space, right? There's Tesla, Ford, GM, uh, Waymo, Uber. There, there are a ton of people trying to solve this problem. I think that uh, whether or not any of it comes to see the light of day publicly – Uh, Much like with AR, it's smart for them to be investing in it because you have to think in terms of the future of technology. This is not a space that that Apple wants to be left out on, right? If you start to think about cars as not an active experience where you're staring at the road and manning a wheel and, and all that stuff and more of a passive experience where you get in and you're just 
you know, using your phone or whatever while you go somewhere, then you can see where Apple would be interested in it, not just from the technology of the driving perspective, but also in the user experience perspective. Um, that's something that the company is very focused on and very finds very important. And so for the same reason that they want to be in your living room and they want to sell you a speaker, um, if that's going to become part of your life, then you could see why Apple would want their products and services to integrate with that and to make it a more seamless experience. Yeah. You know, one of the, the interesting things is we've heard that this was all put on ice several times, right? We've, we've heard that it's reorged, it's put on ice, people leaving. But they put $1 billion into the DD investment after this thing was, was supposedly put on ice. And a lot of the people that were hired for Titan are still there at Apple. Yeah, I, th- I think the DD investment is a, a bit of uh, bet hedging. Um, partially, it allows them to have their foot in the door, but also it's a way for them to use their cash and get some return on it for a company that's going to be successful. Okay, but it's a win-win for them. Well, it also gives them the ability to test things out. They have right. a partnership yeah. in place; they can go ahead and put uh, test bet on. Yeah, they got a foot in the door, and it's smart money either way. So, yeah. Focusing instead of on, on China and LiDAR research projects, let's talk about net neutrality. <laughs> Go ahead. You got something to say about this, don't you? Sure. Um, the FCC this week announced what was expected, that they are going to propose uh, repealing the previous administration's policy on net neutrality. Um, for those of you who don't know what net neutrality is, uh, basically this idea that since the internet was created, it has been a level playing field for anybody who wanted to do whatever they wanted to do. So if you're a business, if you're a user, if you're whatever, um, if you want to create a new service, stream video, if you want to do something potentially illegal, like use BitTorrent to, to steal software, I, wh- whatever you choose to use the internet for at home or on your phone or whatever, um, it is not discriminated against. And so whether you do something that uses a lot of bandwidth, like uh, stream Netflix or you do something as simple as just updating your Facebook status or whatever. Um, your internet service provider treats it all equally. Uh, things started to change in recent years. It came out that Comcast, which has a vested interest in video streaming services, they own NBC, um, and they uh, tell you they sell you cable for television, um, was throttling Netflix, which is a, kind of a competitor to them, uh, because they said that Netflix was using a large amount of bandwidth, which may happen to be true. Um, so anyhow, uh, some sir, some similar things have happened with Verizon, T-Mobile, uh, limiting bandwidth for certain applications like video, audio, uh, not charging for certain types of things. And it just started to get into a murky area where we were ending up with a sort of tiered internet where certain services were prioritized over others or certain companies would partner with internet service providers to have their, their services be delivered um, in a more efficient way. And so the previous uh, FCC administration decided to do something about it. They adopted a policy known as net neutrality. And it basically made a rule that said that uh, internet service providers were not allowed to prioritize certain types of traffic, services, certain businesses. Uh, The current FCC uh, under the new administration has decided to repeal that. They view that as uh, something that is an unnecessary form of regulation on companies that could uh, potentially stifle innovation and hold back the market and hurt the economy. Um, so that's where we're at right now. 
Um, this is something that a lot of technology companies fall on the side of the previous administration, and they are in support of net neutrality because they believe that a fair, equal playing field for everybody uh, is in the best interest of the internet, its users, future companies, current companies, whatever. Uh, but large telecom companies like Comcast, Verizon, uh, fall on the other side of it, and they are not in favor of net neutrality because they want to be able to adjust bandwidth use accordingly so that they can provide faster services, they say, to consumers. Right. Net neutrality is the proposition that the internet service provider does not get to pick favorites right. among the types of traffic that its users are using. And ISPs have long said that they want to be able to prioritize traffic in order to deliver quality of service. Correct. Which sounds feasible, except that you end up with them picking favorites that are financially beneficial to themselves, either through deprioritizing and, and throttling others out of existence or to zero rate making some ma making it financially advantageous to part to take on one of their partners right and when you have these big conglomerates like comcast which owns nbc they have a vested interest in how content is delivered for certain things and so it becomes difficult to say okay um we are not going to throttle our own services but we are going to throttle netflix because we don't own netflix um and also you also or, or we're going to zero rate our own service and levy an extra charge if you want to use Netflix because, you know, they're not paying for a connection right. to us. So you end up in a situation where, you know, I don't think that ISPs are realistically uh, going to start throttling basic services like Google and Facebook and stuff like that because their users would flip out. But uh, let me tell you about the Internet in Portugal. <laughs> Have you seen yeah. this? Okay. So... In, in Portugal, it when, when you try and buy internet service, you can choose packages. Right. You can choose a package for messaging that will give you WhatsApp, Skype, uh, Viber, and uh, you know a bunch of others, FaceTime, iChat. And then if you want social media, you pay for that as well. And if you want video, you pay for a package for that. And if you want email and cloud services, why then you have to pay a separate package for that. And, and so, you know, you end up buying your internet a la carte. And the beauty of the internet as we've grown to know it so far has been that all of these things are the same, that you buy, you're, you're signing up for internet, you get it all. And so that's our future, potentially, is, is an internet that is bifurcated, that is segregated by different packages, that is one where services on your ISP cost less because they're zero rated and services that are through other ISPs cost more. And it means that ISPs pick the winners and losers in companies. And Netflix could never have come to exist if it had been forced to pay extra fees, not just from, you know, take money from subscribers, but also have to pay to Well, they the did Comcast pay to Comcast. The they they worked with them back when it came out, they're being throttled to get their stuff picked up. And so that that's when it becomes, it's like, if you really care about, you know, small businesses and startups and stuff, um, then you should be in favor of net neutrality because the big players that are already on the market, the Facebooks, the Googles, they're going to have the Apple, they're going to have the money to pay to make sure that they're that their bandwidth is not restricted for their services. But small companies that are starting up that may want to take on Netflix or may want to take on Apple or Google or anybody are not going to be able to enter into the market if if we end up in that kind of world because they're not going to have the cash to get ISPs to deliver their services quickly as they need to be. Right. The only way they would be able to enter the market would be to sell themselves to one of the big players and the big players will have no interest in buying them because they won't have any groundswell because they want to yeah, be able I to mean, get a listen, I don't want to get... 
I'm going to upset people by saying this, yeah. but I mean, here's the reality of it. If you, tr- if you support a true free market and you want a level playing field for businesses on the internet, you should be outraged by the FCC's decision. You should be supporting net neutrality. Uh, you know, there's a lot of politics in this. There's rhetoric, there's lobbying, there's whatever else. But at the end of the day, this isn't really about the government arbitrarily imposing control on businesses in any way. It's really about making sure that the internet remains a free and fair marketplace where newcomers have a legitimate shot at actually finding success without being boxed out by existing behemoths or hamstrung by internet service providers or anything like that. Uh, I realize that regulation may be a dirty word in some circles because people don't like the government coming in and telling them what to do. But this is really more about the government maintaining the status quo and ensuring that everybody has a level playing field on the Internet. So I would encourage anybody who's listening, if you support business innovation, true fairness, level playing field on the Internet, then you should support net neutrality. So please reach out. Let your representatives know this is this is important. Thank you. Changing topics entirely, completely. I want to talk about Google Fuchsia. So Fuchsia is an interesting thing. Fuchsia is an OS project that Google has run, and they've, they've been publishing their sources on GitHub, so it's an open source project. And it's not clear exactly what this operating system is going to run on, although I, I do want to say that there are developers who've taken it and loaded it on Android handsets and been able to run Fuchsia on them, and it has an interface. Mm-hmm. So it is meant for touchscreens, at least at some level. And but we don't know if it's going to replace Android or or exactly what the plan is, but it exists. And what's interesting is that there is now Fuchsia support for the compiler in Swift. A Google employee created a pull request on Swift's GitHub repository, adding Fuchsia support to it. So Fuchsia now supports languages like Dart, C, and C and Swift. It's an interesting development. It's a few, still a few years out. It sounds like that's um, interesting. But you know, I think it's it would ultimately be a good thing for Swift. Um, I think that you know, I, I, if I were Apple, I I wouldn't be embracing it. But at the end of the day, I'd be happy about it. the The advantage to it is that if you have um, if you have a common language, then it becomes easier to, for developers to write applications for multiple targets, and you you want to be able to have people you, you you want to be able to have your your operating system be able to run applications written by a larger number of developers rather than less so so this is a good development for swift because currently swift is available on iOS macOS tvOS watchOS and there's been some compilers for linux and i think there's also been some work on the compiler from microsoft but Spreading it around is going to make it a more useful language. It's also going to make these other platforms be able to take advantage of them and make, take advantage of, of developers starting out. This is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in less good news, Foxconn's been accused of using illegal student labor to build iPhones, Apple 10. Yeah, supposedly they strong-armed some um, uh, child interns there into uh, building iPhone 10 units. Uh, this has been an ongoing problem for Apple for years um, in partnering with Foxconn. Um, things have quieted down in recent years as Apple has made some efforts to improve it, but uh, absolutely deplorable um, and disgusting, uh, if true. And uh, I know that Apple can't be happy with it. And, you know, there's a lot of calls on bringing iPhone manufacturing to the United States. That's something that hasn't happened and is unlikely to happen for a number of reasons. But certainly you would hope that no matter where they build these devices that the people who are doing the work are adequately compensated at a competitive rate and are treated reasonably and and are not forced to work um, or, you know, coerced into doing something they don't want to do. So 
um, very sad situation, and I hope that it gets resolved very quickly. Yeah, the, uh, the you know the Foxconn has a need for seasonal workers, but it is uh, absurd for students to get pressed into service by their school, even though it has nothing to do with their studies, and for illegal overtime to be be made to work. It doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. It's it's just entirely wrong. Yeah. You know, and you'd think Foxconn is well aware of their seasonal need for workers and would arrange for a legal way of fulfilling that need. You would think. I had uh, been asked by a few people on Twitter, email, in the comments. I had mentioned um, in one of the most recent episodes that I had bought a iPhone 10 battery case uh, with, uh, is it key or chi? I, I think I was saying it wrong chi. last week. Chi. It's chi. I think I was saying key. Sorry about that. Chi wireless charging. Um, and so some people would ask, we're going to put a link in the show notes, but it's um, uh, Alpatronics, Apatronics, I don't know. Um, they make a 4,200 milliamp uh, charging battery case. Um, it's not perfect. Uh, it has a chin on it and it charges through micro USB, but it also does the Qi charging. So you can just set your phone and the thing on a wireless charger and it works. Um, and the top of it removes to pop in and it kind of, it's kind of weird on how the top removes. Um, but it does, I will say as somebody who's used Mophie's in the past, um, my last Mophie, um, it was the chin at the bottom that was removable. That was how you took it out. And while it was easy to pop off, it was a lot of wasted space that they could have put more battery in. So this one has less wasted space and seems to maximize its battery space a little more. Um, to be clear, I've been very, very happy with iPhone 10 battery life, and I don't use the battery case nearly as much as I did, um, with my iPhone SE and my iPhone 6s before it. But, um, I am happy with this battery case considering it's shipping. It's out there. It works. It does what you would expect. It more than doubles the battery life of it. Um, it's 60 bucks on Amazon. It's where I got it from. So if you're interested, check out the show notes. The Alpatronics uh, iPhone 10 battery case with Qi wireless charging. It's the BXX model. Um, it's, it's out there. It's available. It works. It gets the job done. It's affordable. So yeah, check it out. And I want to talk about an application by Flexibits. So th- this is not sponsored. This is just we did a review of this product. And Flexibits writes applications for iOS and for macOS. And in this case, they wrote an application called CardHop. <laughs> Close, whatever. <laughs> so why are we talking about in the year 2017 making an application for contacts management? And, and I put it to you that it's because Apple's contacts application hasn't really changed dramatically in all of the years that it's been in OS X. That from the very beginning until now, it has done precisely the one thing that it set out to do and nothing more. And the only great change along the way to it was somewhere about 2004 when it got the ability to use iSync to synchronize information from mobile phones over Bluetooth that it's pretty much the same contacts app and there's room for improvement. And so card hop by Flexibits reigns that in a little bit and makes it better. So I, I used to have a ridiculous number of contacts and it was difficult to search them. It was difficult to manage them. It was difficult to use them. And card hop makes it really easy. It sits in the menu bar at the top of the screen. You click on it. It drops down with the whole contact record uh, searching it is faster because the minute you click on it, you just start typing the name and hit return to create a contact, or you can just start entering any part of a name, email, or other piece of information, 
and it finds all of the details across all of your accounts, your your Mac, your iCloud, your Google account, all of that. And these are just things that you can't do in Apple's contacts. If you want to search, you have to open it. You have to click in the search field. You have to start typing, and it will only do it per account. You, it doesn't search across all of the accounts at the same time. Um, you can take action on the contact directly from the search field. So you can sort of is having to search for someone and then click to dial them. You can just start typing dial the name of the contact and it will start the phone call. You can say copy and it'll copy it to the clipboard. You can type FaceTime or FT and it will start a FaceTime call with that person. So there are all kinds of cool things you can do to take action on your contacts directly from the search bar of Cardhop, which is a neat little trick. Um, it's not groupware because it doesn't actually access this share this kind of access to the contacts database with any other delegate person but it makes it really easy to add notes to a contact record and these notes sync with apple's contacts app so it's sort of a very light crm which is really useful you know we we've had big crms we've had sunrise which of course got bought we've had busy cal and busy car you know those things but this is one that feels Light feels very affordable cool. compared to some of the other ones that are out there and makes it simple. And that's really what I look for in an application. So if you use contacts a lot, if you manage a lot of contacts cool. and you need to update them with notes from your calls, th this this could be a good option for you. I like it a lot. All right. Well, Neil, parting thought. Do you have anything else you'd like to talk about? Well, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Uh, thank you all for listening and uh, hope you enjoy the holiday. Neil, disgusting if true Hughes. Where, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at Apple Insider, and if you want to tweet at me, my handle is at thisisneil. I'm at vmarks on Twitter, and you can, of course, find our writings here at Apple Insider. And again, happy Thanksgiving. Please feel free to leave us reviews in iTunes. We're always happy to see that. And, and contact us if you have questions or feedback. We'll be back next week with another fantastic episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. <laughs>